Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the 44th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Sam Reich, head of video from College Humor. He basically helped put College Humor's videos on the map. Which I think of College Humor as like a video, video site. Yeah. yeah. So he's also the head of Big Breakfast, their production shingle, and also is the EP on their television programs like Middle of the Night Show and Adam Ruins Everything, which is in its second season as we speak. Yeah, and he's got a really interesting story as to how he got there. And also he talks to us a lot about what he looks for in a director. In, in my mind, I would think a lot of our listeners either have directed at College Humor or would love to direct for College Humor. So I think there's some really interesting insights and anecdotes about what the head of College Humor video looks for in a director. So listen up. Yeah, it's such a jam-packed episode. We decided to forego our catch-up this week. So we'll find out what Oren's been working on next episode. Oh, it is really fascinating. Let's jump right into it. Sam Reich, how you doing, buddy? Hello! We were saying uh, before we started rolling that this kind of, it nearly completes the college humor family tree. Like, we've got, <laughs> pretty, like, Josh and Vince have to, like, fly in or something. But, yeah. Like, most people who have directed, well, there's still, there's still a handful, for so sure. So you guys but, have like, had Paul Reganti yep. and Matt Pollack yep. and Tim Wilkerson. Yep. And Luke Kelly Klein. Luke Kelly Klein. So there's still plenty of and people. Matt. And me. Yeah, that's true. I almost directed it, something. Did you? Yeah, the ruffles with Martin Short, Martin oh. Long. Martin you, you just send me a note, man. I know with, people there. I no, no, with in. Martin Starr. Oh, Martin, Sorry. Star. <laughs> Martin Short. I was like, the name Dude, is, sounds wrong. Like a huge opportunity. Um, <laughs> I think Josh and Vince are conspicuously absent from that yeah. list. I think Sammy Cohen is absent yeah. from that list. Ryan, Ryan as well. Well, yeah, and, and, and Mike yeah. Shabak. Yeah. yeah, and Ryan Martin. And Sammy is a woman. Yes. Is she the um, only female director you guys have? Well, at any moment, there's actually very few people in rotation because Paul doesn't really direct shorts anymore. Tim doesn't direct shorts anymore. Matt, for the most part, doesn't direct shorts anymore. Actually, now that Matt has gone union, it's going to be difficult for him to come back oh, to yeah. do shorts for the website. So, I, so that, that was the beginning. Right? That was the beginning of an excuse. But I, I like 
talking about the female, the, the whole diversity thing in directing. It's kind of like the biggest thing. It's a huge going issue on in Hollywood. Well, this, and I think this year. It, it's probably such a huge issue because even if there's a diversity problem in casting, there are just enough parts to cast that there will still be women and minorities in your project. But directing is so singular mm-hmm. that the sort of whatever you call it, the, this negative trend in our industry has like really reared its head. Right. Because right? you're pointing to single people saying you're going to be in charge of this operation. Unfortunately, like I think that there are so far fewer women who have gotten those opportunities. I like, I'm just trying to figure out how you solve it because I, I think so, both Matt and I have been in situations where they're like, you know, we really wanted a female director for this yeah. project and we so couldn't here, find one. So we recognized that this was a problem. I went out and I solicited between 30 and 50 female director recommendations. It's the department in which I'm pickiest because it's my background. And, I, you know, I knew I was just going to have a hard time finding someone that I was really excited about. That's true in general. That has nothing to do with the person's gender. And through that initiative, we found Leanne Bowen and Sammy Cohen and Carly Ouston. Cool. And they've all gone on to direct more things. Sammy's still directing it. College humor, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, she is. Yeah. I mean, I think there's this big, I mean, it's obvious, right? This kind of like echo chamber problem where the people hiring these directors tend to be a lot of times white males or white females that have kind of been indoctrinated into this white male like sensibility. Yeah. And so, or even sort of, that's the right way to say it. You're just indoctrinated into thinking like what a director is supposed to be or just building your uh network right and like when it's most yeah i mean i think that like fundamentally there are far more white men out there directing there are because it's a white male dominated industry there's far more white men giving opportunities to other white men which means when it comes to someone like me who's probably just a lazy and unresourceful the work out there that i see that impresses me is from white men so if i right want anyone else to do it, I have to be proactive about see- mm-hmm. seeking that person out. Like, I have to stop being lazy about right. it. Right. But I'm, I think the reason it impresses you is because you get it. They're saying, you know, they're making the sketch about the guy that, like, dropped his phone in the toilet or whatever. And you get it because you have that same iPhone and you've done that same thing. And if they make the sketch about the guy that's, like, waiting in line for 40 hours to buy sneakers or whatever, you don't get it. You know, it's not something you know. Like... Is there some, I think there's something there where everyone that's hiring the directors, not just the directors themselves, is white and male and they like stuff that, the stuff that cracks them up or that they're, they love is stuff that they feel is personal to them, you know? That could be true. It could also be true with like systematic problems that extend like way down deeper into the very beginnings of people's careers where like women are less likely to sign up for directing class because they'll be the only girl in right. class. Or, or right. even photography class. Yeah. Sure. You know, like it goes, it goes pretty so that's, far back. It's so sure. hard to overcome. I have a, yeah. a director friend that's a woman and she's always complaining about this. And I'm like, well, like people ask me to recommend directors all the time. Like send me some directors that I can recommend. And she sent me some people and I looked at their work and I was like, it's cool. It's like kind of indie alternative, cool lifestyle. It's beautiful. But I don't think... Like, you know, uh, Funny or Die is going to hire you to do like a Miller, you know, branded spot because 
the sensibility they isn't they, there. Or they don't have the real yeah. to... And it's like, yeah. it's like as, I mean, as, yeah, the it's, farther you try to fix the problem, the more you realize it goes... It goes back, it goes back right. Yeah. Its roots are very, very deep. But things I mean, like if, your initiative if, are if, awesome. If anybody were to send me three director links from like people who they thought were pretty good, I wouldn't like them. I'm way, way too picky. Which is again why you just I think have to challenge yourself to find the people that you're excited about. Which is such a like challenging yourself to find the things that you're excited about is like well. The you know people who inspire me or things that are inspire me should just arrive on my doorstep. I think that's the very entitled attitude with which I approach actually a whole lot of my work. Right, like and it's excite, coming through like, your network. Of I am king on my throne. Excite me, dance for me. Ooh, I like this internet video that popped up out of nowhere, or I like this script that was submitted to me out of nowhere. I choose you. Right, like you have to be so much more proactive than that if you're going to break this vicious cycle. Yeah, and I think it's like. I don't know. I, for me, if I'm like trying to find creative people, like I, I think something I'm trying to do more is like try to hire the people that I don't really understand <laughs> more than the people that d- did it exactly the way I would do it. You know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Michael Spellman, who's a, one of the writers on Empire, talked about Ryan Coogler and how no white director, basically a writer director, is going to come up with a story for Creed. No one, no one's watching Rocky and wondering like, oh, I wonder what, what happened to Apollo Creed's son, you know, unless <laughs> right. you're black, you know. And so I think he talked about how these, like, once those kind of floodgates open of like trying to talk to people that you don't normally talk to, that's when like really amazing stuff happens. So, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Absolutely, I think it's like really interesting, and I, I hope my dream is to be like a part of the solution, you know. Yeah, help diversify. I don't know. I don't know how to do it though. But if you're a female director and you're listening to this, send me your reel because I'll show it to people. Yeah, I mean, you uh, like I could certainly be doing more. I could always be doing more to be a part of the solution to these, you know, diversity related issues in general. It's definitely something that I become a lot more aware of in the like second half of my career. You know, I think once you're at anything close to a position of power, it's just your responsibility to start thinking about that kind of thing if you're doling out opportunity to people well you know on that note let's actually rewind a little bit right because (laughs) (laughs) there we go because sam i think you've got a really interesting story about how you came to be mr college humor (laughs) which is i I feel like now i should be unbuttoning my shirt (laughs) and a low voice should be going yeah yeah. mr college humor oh yeah i need to hear some ice cubes yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah we should mention Sam's wearing like a silk neckerchief. Mm. It's very fetching. It's very comfortable. Yeah, Ooh. and a robe. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam, you are. What, I don't even know what your official title is mm. at College Humor. I I don't think this is my official title, but I refer to myself as head of video. Head of video for College yeah. Humor, and then president of Big Breakfast, which is College Humor's offshoot production company. And how did how did you become the president of Big breakfast, <laughs> college humor. Head How are you elected? I was oh, the yeah. vice president, and the president was assassinated. <laughs> so it was sort of my pitch to IAC, which is the parent company, to move the video department out from New York to LA to get more seriously into TV. Mm-hmm. But before that, right? Let's let's, oh, let's let's go further back. I'm right? sorry. You you invented <laughs> internet video. <thing. laughs> You know, I, I am Ebon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we just oh, live I've in been your world. world. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> so backing up a little bit, because it really, I think that it's, it, it is fascinating. We're kind of the generation where you grow up with web video, right? Like you mm-hmm. were kind of entering the workforce as a person who wanted to make comedy, right? And you said, hey, like, I think videos work on the internet. The internet was like people dial up wasn't ubiquitous yet, yeah. or, or high speed. I mean, wasn't ubiquitous I mean to be yet? to be honest, I think when we started to do it, and I started to do it with my comedy group Dutch West back in two thousand three. Internet videos weren't really working right. yet, and it was sort of this idea that the internet can be used as a self publishing mechanism, and so if we're going to build careers for ourselves, let's broadcast ourselves as widely as possible. And sort of take advantage of this. I, I mean, at the time, me and this group of people, which you know consisted of it was me, Josh Rubin, Vinny Payone, Josh Mincer, the directing duo we were referring to earlier, my wife Elaine Carroll, and uh, another very funny guy named Matt Moore. We uh, were just actors and writers, and not very good directors mm-hmm. who wanted attention. And you were in New York, yeah. Did you guys yeah. go to NYU or anything like that? No, no, no. Uh, uh, so Josh went to the New Actors Workshop, okay. and Not Vince bad. was a cinematography major at SVA, and Elaine was an acting major at Marymount Manhattan. And I dropped out of high school when I was 16, so three years before Dutch West. And then Matt, oh, Matt went to New Actors as well. So right. I was the uneducated one. So was your father a successful economist when you dropped out of high school? <laughs> Uh, yeah, my father and mother were professors when I dropped out of high oh, school. Like, so, you were trying to offset that. Pure academics. Like, not, well, not yeah. pure, but like eggheads. Proper. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Father is pre- professor, mother was a professor. And at like in Massachusetts schools, I'm assuming. Massachusetts, like, yeah, Harvard. Harvard's. Yeah, they were both at yeah. Harvard. So let's talk about this a little bit. I don't think we've ever talked about. So you, you decided you were, I'm 16, dropping out of high school. I want to do comedy. Well, clinical depression had a role in this. Okay. Uh, All right. I was, I was pretty messed up as a, as a 15, 16 year old. So they sent me off to England. Um, they enrolled me in this like program for troubled teenagers. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, I actually don't think it was for troubled teenagers. I think in my case, it was for troubled teenagers. Um, for the most part, it was for British teenagers. And then they would take the occasional American misfit. And you weren't just like, hey, this is not theater camp. <laughs> what happened? I, it was it, it worked for me, like getting me out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, yeah, and yeah. to a very different environment, seeing how big the world really is. Uh, you know, I did a whole bunch of theater when I was there. I took courses and things that really interested in me, but I also wasn't overloaded by school or with home. I took, mm-hmm. I had, I think, something like only fifteen hours of class a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so much less. Yeah, yeah. just less than we had in prep school. Such a New England thing to, like, send your kids to school, right? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, all yeah, these yeah. people I know that grew up that, you know, went to Exeter and all these, like, weird, like, sleepaway schools, yeah, which yeah. is what I would call them. My parents, like, could barely even send me to, like, a weekend camp, let alone, like, yeah. away for the school year. Yeah. It's crazy. It's totally, it's the education capital of the United States, I think. Right. Um, you know, and that's that's really the beating pulse of Harvard, but I mm-hmm. think it has this kind of... uh tentacle effect to like the high schools in the area. And it's funny, I I really think that we were educated to the point of abuse in that school. Mm -hmm. Like it was... It's like some dead poet society shit. 
I mean, I, there was kind someone of. in the grade below me who committed suicide. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I always used to think like China or Japan or there's some Asian country where like they make their kids go to school for like 80 hours a week. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that was Massachusetts. Yeah. But of course, the, that kind of irony, I actually don't know if this is the proper use of irony because I dropped out of high school. But it is that like ever since being in my adult life, I value that education tremendously. I had two years of high school education. And yeah. like, I think actually that was enough to last. So you finished high school life. in two years. <laughs> yeah. right? That's one way to put it. Right. So, yeah. so then so that this is fascinating, though. So you move because we always talk about like, oh, is film school important or like is right. getting a broader education? Like, sure. wh- how does it work? Right? I read that like 90 percent of directors have gone to film school or some 90? crazy statistic. That can't be true. Like that. I don't think that's true. You don't think that's true? And certainly I don't think it's important. What I do think is important and we talk about it all the time is just finding your tribe. Right, uh-huh. like, like finding that sure. that band yeah. of people, other Jewish people, other like. other Jewish people. <laughs> yeah, the the tribe. Uh, no, uh, but finding like minded individuals, right? So it, yeah, so well, I, you I, literally had a name for that group, right? Sure, and it was called Dutch West. It was your yeah. comedy troupe. But so so you come back from England, right? Yeah, I come back from England. Uh, I go to a performing arts summer camp where I meet uh, Elaine at the age of 16, who would one day become my comedy group co-conspirator, and then my wife. The mother of your dog. Of the mo- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Josh Rubin. We, all the three of us met when we were 16 to 18. And we, you know, we sang and we acted and we did physical motion exercises. Made yeah. out with each other. Made out with each other. Yeah, like any good arts camp. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> stuck yeah. flutes where they shouldn't be stuck. Had pretentious uh, conversations about oh, the yeah. making meaning of life, hey, the man. making of the universe. Somehow you got to New York, right? Or is all uh, Yeah, Boston? so my parents tried to enroll me in my junior year of high school, and I completely uh, flipped out. And so they said, okay, let's give this whole you out of school thing a try. And if it really goes wrong, maybe we can get you in a bad college somewhere. So they put me in this, I mean, I I almost say this as if it's ungenerous. I think they were hugely generous and liberal and sort of experimental by doing this. They put me in like a 300 square foot box of an apartment in Boston and said, whatever you want to do for like a year and a half or Two years. The time that you would be in high school. Yeah. Go for it. See what happens. And this I... Is, this is your almost famous, is what you're telling me. <laughs> right? This is my um, Igby Goes Down. Okay, all right. <laughs> and so I started doing a little bit of theater in Boston, and then I ended up following Elaine, who had gotten into college at Marymount Manhattan in New York, to New York. And I wasn't doing... Prior to Dutch West, I, I wasn't doing anything all that interesting. I mean, I was... I wanted to act, so I was uh, did a month's worth of background work on Third Watch, the worst Law and Order. <laughs> I was the village idiot at a New York Renaissance Fair, which actually, I mean, er- everyone at that Renaissance Fair impressed the shit out of me. They're some of the best performers I've ever worked with. I was the weak link. <laughs> and then I started, oh, there was this key moment. This is a good anecdote for this podcast, where I was auditioning for the Theater Studio, Inc., which is one of these many sort of no- name black box theaters in New York. And I came out of that audition and there was some sort of assistant there going through headshots. And I was like, how many people do you think audition for you guys per year? And she's like, we see about uh, between 10 and 25,000 people per year. Wow. 
And I said, how many director resumes do you get per year? And she was like, probably 200. And I was yeah. like, I like those odds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I directed some of my first theater at the theater studio. And then... Wow. The first it's easy to get a directing job story we've heard. I mean, I think theater is such a... Like, it is... It's as in demand as any... We're lucky to do any of this stuff. Sure. But in that, very few people see it. And in that, it pays next to nothing. I think it's a great way to start directing, you mm-hmm. know, and learning to work with actors and learning to block. And, yeah. You know, in a way, better to learn that before you complicate things with a camera. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think... You know, I always joke about like doing New York when you're young, right? Yeah. Like, like, I think there are the opportunities of being like okay with not making a ton of money, yeah, and taking advantage of those opportunities of just directing every night in a small black box theater in Brooklyn and not worrying about like how many people see it because like yeah. ten people coming to a show a night is incredible, yeah. right? Like that's double digits right there, you yeah. know. Um, not that I don't know what size theater you were directing in, but yeah, thousands, thousands. thousands. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. No, I, I think that's really true, and I think you know the way in which I was really lucky is that I was doing this and I was having these sort of like gritty experiences where you know it hopefully didn't matter that I wasn't making very much money and it didn't matter that how many people were seeing it when I was like nineteen and twenty and twenty one. Whereas if I had gone to college. I'd be having those experiences where I also really needed to worry about being an adult. Or, or we're like in student debt. You yeah, know? like absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. four years older, not to mention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, if I haven't said so explicitly, like for certain things that you want to do in your life, I think you need to go to college because you need to get that degree. And otherwise, I think college might just be a gigantic scam. Yeah, I, I think certainly it can be. Yeah, I, I mean, I will be 55 when I'm done paying off my loans. <laughs> That's not a joke at all. Yeah. 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 That, like wasn't, that wasn't quite a laugh. I gave you more of a, <laughs> yeah, of a, of a shocked, shocked, shocked hair. <laughs> It was you're, a you're huh. doing the math of like, oh no, that's a car payment for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, wow. no, and and you know, I'm I'm really grateful. That I, I I think for me, I I really admire that you had the wisdom to see that or to like to trust your gut and to like not. I mean, I didn't. I was so sort of mixed up in anti-authority that I'm not sure I had a choice about it. But sure. I at least recognized that I had to supplement this education right. by doing something and right. learning by doing. And it's sort of like you you began to say before, if you are doing a lot, that's really what school is for. Absolutely. Is doing a lot and finding a group of people to do it with. Yeah, I feel like, I think maybe film school is for people who know that they want to take that crazy leap into entertainment right mm-hmm. because it's it's so it's so far beyond what our parents are used to doing what most people do the lifestyle is very very different stability is is um pretty elusive for a lot of us and so film school is like a little half step of like saying okay well i'm still going to go to college which is the thing that we all think we're supposed to do to go do this crazy thing but it's going to make my parents feel a little bit better, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I like, I certainly bought into that. Like yeah. it wasn't just for my parents. It was like, Oh, well this is what Steven Spielberg did, which is not true. Actually okay. Spielberg went to long beach, but he ah. always wears a USC hat. So as a kid, I thought that he went to USC. <laughs> is that why? Is yeah, that why dude. you applied? 
Well, that's... Spielberg and Zemeckis and like yeah. Lucas, but like, you know, sure. those dudes are all wearing USC hats. And so you're that's like, well, funny. what's the school that you go to? Yeah. I mean, I, my impression, I'm saying this is a complete outsider because I never went to college is that there might be a little bit too much focus on the craft itself and a little bit too little focus on like how you actually get a job in this industry in these programs. Well, most of the time the job that they got was being a college professor, (laughs) right? Or they retired and they were like, I like, you know, teaching. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I I definitely feel like in some ways a technically less uh, proficient director because I don't feel like I have that same sort of depth of knowledge or diversity of education that the typical film student has. All I have is sort of what I've been able to pick up through doing. And then also like the sort of industry savviness that comes with having been in this like industry as a whole, whether as an actor or writer or director or a theater person or what have you for a while, which is, I feel like, I don't know that I would have gotten that same sort of like industry proficiency if I had been in film school. Right. And it's cool that certain programs are offering it. And I hear that about AFI. I hear that AFI does. Yeah. I studied engineering in college. And when I came to LA is when I was like, I should probably watch the Citizen Kane movie and I should yeah. watch Casablanca and I should watch, you know, a few good men, like all these movies yeah. that people are talking about heat. There's all these movies I'd never even seen yeah. that. If I would have gone to film school, I would have seen yeah. all of them, and I would have it's important figured out uh, why, why they work. You know, I, I will be real though; they don't screen Citizen Kane in film school. They don't. They don't. Yeah, like <laughs> that. There, there's not enough classes in four years of college to cover a fraction of the movies that we're quote unquote supposed to have seen. Mm. You know, so it really, no matter what, it ends up becoming about self education. Hmm. And frankly, like whenever I'm pitching. And I'll like make a reference to a movie from like the eighties. Yeah. Know, like I'll make it like a Cronenberg reference or something like that. Like the fly, which was a huge hit. Yeah. And like, you know, development executives are like, some of them are like in their twenties. I just get blank stares. Yeah. I've never yeah. seen that either. So yeah. It's just like, yeah. Well, you know. I, I get, you know, a guy in a fly and they go and yeah, you get machines just, and get mixed up. I just mean like cyberpunk body horror. And then I yeah. just say that instead. But basically. I think that's like also because the medium is developing so rapidly now that the references are becoming more contemporary. Yeah. Because it's that thing where like the medium is, is, developing so exponentially fast that to reference Citizen Kane is like, well, we can't pull anything from that. Yeah. That's what that feels really relevant to this new thing we're making. On the other hand, we can say it's Jackie Chan meets neighbors too. Yeah. Or whatever, because right. like the, those references are that. a little, yeah. a little more contemporary. Yeah. Well, so let's fast forward a little bit to before we fast forward. <laughs> I do have a, like fast forward, a tiny fast forward. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, the, the the big important question of this this backstory I was thinking about on the drive over, uh, why comedy? Yeah, like when we started doing comedy, it wasn't super cool. Like we're in yeah. the comedy boom now, where like you can say, oh, I work for College Humor, and that's very cool. But comedy was not trendy or or sexy in two thousand six. Yeah. I mean, there's this sort of, there's kind of like, like you anic- are in a ska band. <laughs> I, know, I feel like all internet video companies that I can think of in the beginning start with comedy. Cause like what else is good in three minutes? 
I guess what I'm saying is, is that there's a difference between like 2006 and right. like post split sure. cider. Sure. Like when I worked at Comedy Central, it was embarrassing to say that. And then sure. it got cool. Well, the, there's like an anecdotal answer to that question, which is I had an acting class uh, with a, uh, an acting instructor early on in my formative acting years who said, you should sort of define your acting style based on the first impression that you give walking into a room. For instance, like Jason over there, he's clearly the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And he should, you know, go in wearing a leather jacket and sure. having just smoked a cigarette. And Sam is short, so he should do comedy. And that did, that was a big moment for me where he sort of said, I am getting cast in a lot of these sort of like funny roles i mean as a comedy like i was super into my python growing up and i was super into uh weird al jim carrey yeah and i like i even did some Monty python sketches i love getting laughs from people but at that point in my life like i had done some serious plays and i was really into drama really into it i just didn't get anything back Mm -hmm. from auditioning for dramas what i got back was like oh this guy could be the shakespearean fool Mm -hmm. and so i just got more more response that way and then i josh and i kind of fell in love with each other when we were like 19 and 20 and he was he became my comedy role model i just followed him around and did whatever he did because i was like this guy really knows what he's doing he's pretty Um, funny that is true yeah i think he's one of the funniest people alive yeah i haven't Um, always been into comedy I don't know. I feel I don't remember it not being cool ever. <laughs> maybe wait, wait, I wasn't hanging on. out with the cool You know what? I so think you were it, a kid and you were like, I love Weird Al or whatever. Yeah, I loved Weird Al. I like, watched loved, like Spaceballs sure. and Blazing Saddles and Top, yep. um, Tommy Top Boy. Secret. You guys ever yeah. seen that movie with Val Kilmer? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like where there's like two guys and a cow yeah. smoking on the cover. I think that it was Naked that gun. it was popular, but it wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. now, comedy is cool. Okay, I guess I wasn't cool, I think. Yeah, that, that's realized. what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you didn't go to college, and yeah. then you got to this uh, You fell company. in love with comedy. Now yeah. here you are at IAC. Like, billionaire Barry Diller has purchased collegecareer.com. Oh, right? No, so I was going to just uh, ask. So they didn't care that you didn't go to college when you applied for the job? I don't know that they knew. Okay. I mean, I, I also... Because you, oh, um, you were an actor. You're like, oh, I humorized in college all the time there's like this whole through line that i've neglected which is that i was like a habitual liar in order to put myself (laughs) in situations where i would get opportunities like i told some really really big lies can you give us a for instance well the first play i ever directed was when i was in england when i was 15 i told them that i was a 19 year old enrolled at oxford university in order so that they would allow me to direct something at the student theater there and then when i came home to Boston, I wanted to direct Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And I held auditions and I convinced a producer and everybody that I was 26 when I was, in fact, 16. <laughs> and the cast found out about it and were furious with me because, like, hardly anybody came to the show. I mean, I was, yeah. I was miserable <laughs> you, at it. You were a child. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> and they ran a, an article in the Improper Bostonian with, a head, with the headline, Busted, <laughs> with my picture. <laughs> That's, uh, that's pretty awesome. That's yeah. so excellent. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think I had stopped lying by the time I applied to College Humor, so they knew I was 21. I, mm. Oh, man, 21. 21 and starting your career. That's so awesome. So you've been there since you were 21. That's like your first big job. I guess, you know what? I actually might have been 22 because I just this uh, past, I think two weeks ago was my 10-year anniversary. Wow. Incredible. So, so at this point, 
just in the the realm of the internet, right? Like people are just now kind of figuring out how to put videos online. Like New York in particular is really pretty bumping in terms of what companies are doing and trying out. It's the beginning yeah. of that first boom, you know. Super um, Deluxe. Super Deluxe. Mm-hmm. That's Co- how. College Humor. Heavy? Next New Network. Did you do Super that for Heavy? Super Heavy.com. Uh, I didn't. I was making a web series that I was going to pitch to them, and then they mm. went under. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, oh, but the big inspiration for us or for me was Homestar Runner. Oh, oh really? That's like where it all. Homestar Runner was the thing I watched, and I went like, "This is amazing! It's so niche, but it appeals to like such a passionate fan base." What about this, but live action? Yeah, yeah, right. Like there could be quality writing online. Yeah, like TV level, like Simpsons level writing or whatever. Yeah. And people were building fan bases. Like there was a, yeah. uh, you were, you could create a career out of. Yeah. You can merchandise. Yeah. Homestar Runner. Yeah. I, I went to a Homestar Runner themed party in college. <laughs> That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Okay. So 45 minutes into our podcast, can we ask a question that all our listeners want to know yes. from Sam is like, what, so we talked a little bit before about how it's very hard to impress you as a director that wants to direct for college humor. But what is, what do you look for in a director? that you give an opportunity to direct? It's a good question. I want to say like the answer to that has become really specific. And I'm going to start talking and see if I can form good sentences as I go. (laughs) Uh, To make a short for the internet, you have to have a really complete technical understanding of what it means to be a director because it's got to really grab you. And by that, I mean, it has to be really quick and really aggressive Without coming across as like totally inorganic or chaotic. Or rushed, right? Or rushed. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which is the biggest problem with a lot of stuff I work on. (laughs) I feel like is like, they're like, needs to be 90 seconds. I'm like, the script was six pages. Needs to be 90 seconds. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Well, doesn't matter. Here we go. Uh, I guess we're all auctioneers now. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, are, is that like the rule for good directing in general? Probably not. But it's certainly the rule if you come to us and want to direct something. Like, I want to see something that's like really stylishly on point. And you don't need to have a lot of money in order to prove that to me. Really, you just need to have a really sophisticated camera work and editing. If you're an uh, editor who also edits, I think you are three times as likely to be liked by me. Mm-hmm. Because it means that you're shooting with a very specific cut in mind. Right. I, don't, I also, in my opinion, as just like directors that are very, very, very involved in the edit, especially starting out in their career, yeah. tend to make better stuff. Because, you know, you, if you're not editing, it's really hard to be a perfectionist, you know, especially yeah. with all this technical stuff you're sure. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. When you care about what frame the cut is on, it's hard to do it when you're not the editor, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think we live, like, I think we live in a late age where more and more so those sort of uh, disciplines are one and the same. You know, do you really, do you know what it means to like direct and edit for comedy, for comedy specifically? I am an, I have killed so many L cuts in the editing process. Like I can listen to a, a sentence or I can read a sentence on the page and I can tell you what words the cut to the reaction is gonna go over. If you don't have that instinct, like that's a re- that's a really important instinct. This is actually something that I learned from the Fine Brothers. I was uh, the post supervisor on this show that yeah. did my music for YouTube. Yeah, a few years ago, and we, we turned in our first edit. It was less than three minutes long. They gave us over 180 notes on it. <laughs> um, wow! In an Excel spreadsheet, they're very very 
fine-tuned perfectionist, like by the fine-tuned frame. Fine-tuned brothers. Yeah. <laughs> but they said, we just want it to be edited. They're like, our editing model or like role model is Mad Men. They say, like, watch an episode of Mad Men. Look at how they edit that show. That's how you should edit our show, even though it's not a comedy. But they're like, people hmm. come in on the wide shot. Then you go to a medium shot. You do not cut in the middle of a phrase. You know, like you, if a sentence is like, hey, what are you doing here? And who told you you can have a, some vodka? You can cut between like, what are you doing here? And who told you you can have some vodka? But don't cut in the middle of like a, a piece of dialogue. Don't cut on water. Yeah. yeah. And as a beginning editor, you kind of learn like L cuts are the thing that makes helps you smooth cuts, right? Right. You learn that like, oh, action across a cut really helps make smooth, uh, makes a cut smooth. If you start dialogue in one shot and finish in another shot, it makes things smooth. But like the more and more I work, especially in like short form stuff, the more I realize like hitting beats and making moments land and getting jokes to work is mostly the job of the editor, much more so than the performer or the yeah. director, because they choose where we're looking and how much time is going to pass between all these things. And when you start yeah. L cutting, it might work for, you know, like a, like a real fast argument or something yeah. or, or when we're listing a lot of things. But when you're have, trying to get really sharp moments to land, it kind of gets in the way. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. I, I, it's almost as if at a certain point you are, I think in comedy, I, I try to encourage editors to, to be very aggressive. I mean, fundamentally, I think it's, it's uh, our job, especially, I, I mean, maybe half because we're doing comedy and also half because we're making videos for the internet to be very quick and very aggressive with our edits. Otherwise, it's almost, it's a little bit of the job to be non-creative. It's like, don't cut in the middle of that line. You know, don't cut to someone else's reaction for the latter 30% of that line and then the first 30% of someone else's line. Like, make this very, very uh, straightforward for me in order and so clear. that I can, and clear in order so that I can understand the jokes. It's hard to tell people to be non-creative. Right. It's, so you, you have to really. I think it is creative. It. I think it's kind of lazy to just, oh, I'll do an L cut. It'll, it, it'll feel like I'm editing right. something, you know? That's the other thing in comedy. Like, people don't care about continuity. Actually, people don't care about continuity for the most part at all. At all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it drives me insane because editors, you know who cares about continuity? Yeah. Is editors, <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> editors also, well, actually, uh, maybe more cinematographers care about the line. Nobody yeah. else cares about the line. Yeah, right. yeah, don't care about the line. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of care about the line when I feel like an edit is jarring, you know? Sure. But I don't mind flopping shots, cheating, like doing all sorts of things to make it so... To me, it's like, you know, you just don't want to notice the cut, but cutting in the middle, unless the cut is is the punchline, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it really comes down to cutting with intention, right? Yeah. So oftentimes you're using... A reaction shot to maybe cover up some some sort of uh, continuity error or like you know um, an edit that doesn't totally match, right? Yeah. But it's about having a, an understanding of the bigger picture of what is the real intent of this piece, right? Mm-hmm. Communicating, you know, these beats, these emotional beats, whether they're jokes or dramatic or whatever. Sometimes that just means being as simple and as clear as possible. Yep. And when you get flowery with trying to like cover up something that ultimately doesn't matter, that's when you run into mucking things up. Yeah. I, I do think the editors need to be creative when things aren't working. You know, when something on set wasn't that funny, you mm-hmm. know, and sometimes cutting to reaction, back to reaction, back to reaction 
even though it's not necessarily scripted, can add a little bit of like comedy to a sure. moment or something. Well, and actually, I mean, my favorite pieces have sophisticated editing in them insofar as the director has decided to do something stylistically ambitious, and that has to be represented in the edit. Right. I rewatched I, Jeggings, the thing about <laughs> Jeggings last night, because I, don't know, I think that's like one of my favorite college humor videos. And, you know, we had Matt Pollock, who directed it on here. And if you guys haven't seen the video, it's basically this teacher comes in and he's <clears> telling <throat> people they're not allowed to wear jeggings. And we find out that everyone is wearing these insane clothing, piece, articles of clothing, half of which are they're pretty much naked. Like the girl that's wearing a nerd yeah, yeah, is yeah. like not Or a they're shirt. just like made up. Right. Yeah. But rewatch, I was like, how? right when the teacher walks in, there's this wide shot of the entire class where you're seeing everyone. And I said to Matt, there's no way in that wide shot people were wearing these actual outfits. And they were. You know, yeah. Like when I rewatched it last night, yeah. and so there's something about the editing, and Matt is like such a good editor too. But yeah, I, I think there is an art to not seeming creative, but mm-hmm. still getting all the jokes to land and people to notice the exact right things. There's so many times I read a script where there's like a joke in the script that I know is going to be really, really hard to land in like yeah. the edit in the how you shoot it and how you. You cut it, even though it reads funny. So. Well, I, I think it's maybe the biggest gift that the internet has for us, right? As filmmakers who are just cranking all the time and making things all the time, is you you learn how to keep things really trim and simple, and know exactly how to deliver the beats that you're trying to deliver, and know that you're probably going to do it again in a week or two. You know, yeah. so like that in terms of training ground, we were talking earlier about like how do you uh, develop directors into something like, you know, how do you shepherd them through their career? Basically, doing online video is it, right? Like that. There's not a better boot camp out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could spend one hundred twenty thousand dollars on film school, or you could, you know, right, start your own comedy group. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in the whole learn by doing thing and the 10,000 hour rule and all that, right? Like there's there's nothing but actually doing the thing and then doing it over and over and over again and daring to be bad at it and analyzing your mistakes mm-hmm. and then looking at someone else who's much better than you and going, fuck, like how do I be like that guy? Yeah, fail um, your way to the top. I think yeah. that's the other thing uh, maybe I've talked about on the podcast, but I love about College Humor is that uh, there's a handful of directors that are all doing stuff together, but we basically have the same script-ish and the same cast and the same location and the same gear. Mm-hmm. And every single time, it's like, what can you do that's different? What can you do that's unique? How did the other guy do it? Yeah. You know, so it's. I think it's, you know, I've always loved the site, but like since I started directing for you guys, <clears throat> like paying attention to what other people are doing has been really fascinating, really, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, there is some, I mean, you know, like uh, there's this saying, which I didn't come up with. But it's like writing poetry with rhyme is easier than writing poetry without rhyme mm-hmm. because there are creative restrictions. Like it makes the writing actually click into place a little bit easier. And I think that's true of some of the creative limitations that we have in internet video. It's like, well, you know, I have this interview lighting kit. This is what I got. Yeah. And I've got a black curtain. How can I make this look really dramatic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why I like when I'm like coming up with stuff to shoot. I like kind of just starting with like locations. Like here are the the three coolest locations we have access to. Yeah. And let's like work backwards from that. So back to what you look at 
for, in a reel to hire a director. So the first yeah. thing you said was just being technically astute, right? Like knowing mm-hmm. what they're what they're doing, knowing how to edit, knowing the rhythm, knowing how to get things to land. Yeah. Do you care at all about a, a unique voice or feeling original or feeling different than anything you've seen on College Humor before? No, not as far as the College Humor videos are concerned. That's a little bit more can you represent the work that we're doing already? Maybe at a time I would have said that when like I felt like the college humor voice was a little bit less defined. But honestly, since basically the era of Paul Briganti, like we now have a sort of a look and a feel that I feel like everybody has tried to emulate a little bit. So I think we're looking for that. I mean, I've gotten a lot more specific. Even the spiel that I was just giving is a lot more specific than I could have been with you a handful of years ago about what we look for in internet video. Uh, yeah, if we're if we're doing a project, for instance, um, this thing we did for Go90 called Fatal Decision, which was, uh, it was written by Dave Seeger along with Greg Stees and a group of talented writers, and then Greg directed it. It was very specifically going, oh, you know whose unique director, or you know whose unique voice as a director would work for this is Greg. I always joke that like you can tell a, a Greg Steves video from all of the other ones because they are especially weird. Right? <laughs> and I mean um, that with the utmost <clears throat> respect. Like I think that's yeah, incredible. I have a very, it, it's like a, to me, directing is a casting exercise when, when you're, especially when you're putting together a project, you know, I'm as inarticulate about saying this person's the right lead on the, for this project. Like why I can't exactly tell you, but I know it's perfect as I am in the directing category. With Greg and Fatal Decision, it's his like playful kind of exuberance and his like, if the majority of our directors are aggressive, he is hyper aggressive. Mm-hmm. And like his ability to do, <coughs> oh, bless you. Thanks. What do you mean by aggressive? Like, like I mean campy, in your face, uh, fast, fast, fast. It's, it's like not Michelle, his personality, but his no, work. no, no, no. no he's no, like his a great melody. Yeah, but it's it's sort of like he's like um, Michelle Gondry meets John Waters. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's a little like a tiny bit psychedelic and like weird. It's a little Tim Tim and Eric-y as well. Yeah. Honestly, like meets uh, Robert Rodriguez. Like yeah, there's yeah. there's something super highly stylized yeah. and flying around with a handheld camera. Yeah. Um, he, he's the guy I would bet would work. just throw a camera. Does he operate? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does, he own, awesome. does he operate on his own stuff? I think sometimes yes, and sometimes <clears throat> no. So when you, so from the director, I mean, you've obviously worked with a million directors and been a director yourself. Like what do you, what makes a good college humor director? Well, I think the one thing that I've left out is like being a, a good person and a, uh, like uh, we we use the term good hang for people who are just like generally decent people and like don't blow up when things don't go their way. Uh, that term was uh, trademarked by Eva Wong. <laughs> um, like to, to work with us, you have to be a good collaborator. But versus I think the vast majority of television directing, and there's, there's more and more uh, TV directing that's like very hands-on and very collaborative. So this, this is a little bit of an unfair statement. Let's say like, network TV drama directing, which is like, you come in, what's the script? And two actors, this scene, maybe we block it this way. Everybody know their marks? Okay, good. I'm going to go back to my trailer. We require a high level of collaboration, but also a high level of input from our director. And that can be a tough balance, like knowing I can talk to the 
writer about cutting a line. And I can add a joke here that wasn't in the script, but I need to talk about it and get approval for it. And, and um, I, I would say that's a tricky balance. Wouldn't yeah, you? yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, anytime you're working with a new company, it's always about kind of testing the waters and figuring out what what's expected of you a little bit, right? Because what you were saying before, you know, if I'm doing an episode of NCIS, it is super straightforward. It's very, very simple, but not very, very simple. Sounds great. It's super hard. <laughs> Sign me up. Um, you have to sleep with a lot of the right people. <laughs> but, you know, when you're in the internet, the terms aren't quite so clear, right? Yeah. And so whenever I'm working with a new company, I'm always trying to figure out, like, why, you know, is it, a, is it appropriate for me to pitch a joke? Who gets, who's noting things? All of that stuff is kind of up in the air. And so I think with College Humor in particular, Certainly there's kind of a, a situation where you're building trust. And I think that's maybe the reason why most companies want to have just a handful of people that they can go to and count on. It's just because it takes so much time to figure out whose sensibilities match each different project and like who can you trust with something that maybe needs to be rewritten a little bit or is extra long and so yeah. you're gonna, you know you're going to be cutting jokes and can they shoot it in a way that makes sense to to be aggressive in that way. Yeah. You know? And do you interview the directors personally? I do. Um, again, just because it's something that I care so much about. It, it depends. I mean, we've certainly brought in directors for projects that I'm not as familiar with, but it, it's still, you know, you said earlier, you've worked with a ton of directors. And the truth is I haven't because I'm so picky about the category. And I think it's tough, especially because, you know, we, we're on the internet for a lot of these projects. We don't pay very much. We're non-union for me to find people who are, really work at the caliber I want for them to work means, you know, they're largely people at the beginning to middle of their careers. They're very hungry and, uh, there just aren't a whole lot of those people out there. And I'm also a little lazy, like I said before. Right. Like it's easier for you if they somehow show up in your, if they they somehow appear. And what do you ask them in an interview? That's a good question. Why are manholes around? (laughs) (laughs) A good one. I think I asked them about their directing style and their voice and the, and the kind of thing that they like to direct and how they feel about comedy and if they're into comedy. It's a bunch of very average stuff. Lately, I've, I've started to be very specific with them about what I want to see from them right off the bat. So there's no me sort of testing them and then watching their cut and then being like, here's 150 notes. I'll be like, here's what I like and don't like. Right. Um, Do you have any the kind of things that you found coming up in, again and again? Like, are, are there any tips you could say, like, hey, I'm coming in as a young director. What do I want to show Sam in addition to, like, like, what are the notes you find yourself saying in those meetings? I guess is what I'm asking. I would say that the number one note I'm giving all the time on mostly everything, except not so much now because the directors are working with, like, really know what I'm looking for is faster, tighter, pick up the cues. You clearly don't know. I would, I'm not making this note. It's an asshole note. But this is what I'm thinking. You don't know what I mean by fast. <laughs> and have you ever seen anything that's too fast? That's not working because it's... Yes. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if anything, if there's any moment that's supposed to be awkward or is supposed to be mock, like mock drama, mock drama can't be done fast. I did sketch for college humor back in the day called uh, grammar nazis which was an inglorious bastards parody and that is slow right because it's tarantino it's inglorious yeah it's a parody of a very specific scene 
something I learned when I did a show for Super Deluxe back in the day, the girl I was doing it with kept telling me to cut things faster and faster and faster. And I was like, yeah, but we need this awkward moment. You know, it's supposed to be uncomfortable. And she's like, yeah, but if you cut everything super fast, then that one second pause will be like a five second pause. It's so true. You know, it's all relative. If you look at like, uh, this gets really nerdy, but that's why we're here. That's the point. That Mm -hmm. is the show. Um, If you look at like Samuel Beckett's uh, plays, which were like what got me really into theater back in the day, it's Mm -hmm. all this what's called uh, stichomatheism or stichomatheic dialogue, which is little line, 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 pause. He's very specific about where those pauses go. And he really meant for it to be performed rapid fire so that those pauses really meant something. Yeah. And Aaron Sorkin, you know, he does that stuff. Totally. Like if someone stops talking, you know, it's an important It's for real. But like I watched, uh, I just watched Neighbors 2 on a plane. Great movie. And listen to how fast that shit moves. Yeah. I mean, like, and it really works. I, by the way, I like drama slow. I love Mad Men. And uh, I'm watching the second season of Mr. Robot right now. And man, in a good, heavy way, that show drags like a like an ugly limp. I think it's super cool. A Better Call Saul is a slow show. Yeah. Which yeah. I love. Well, so we should probably start ramping up pretty soon. Yeah. But before you go, Sam, mm. it's time for unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Maybe I'll, I'll give two recommendations in case the first one is a little bit too easy. But there is screenwriting software, which is easily downloadable. It was recommended to me by my head writer, Mike Trapp, called Highland, which I think is really, really cool. It's basically like a uh, screenwriting scratch pad that you can jot down a lot of like clumsily formatted dialogue into uh, and then formats it sort of automatically as if you've written in a coding language into proper screenwriting format. And what I love so much about it is being able to write sort of scrawl and then flip and watch it in proper looking PDF format and read it that way and go like, oh, that line could be a little bit better. Hmm. And the sort of process of flipping back and forth is a way of stepping back and getting a perspective on my own work that I don't think you normally have in the screenwriting process. So it's almost like you're, you know, doing the the pen and paper method, right? Yeah. Where you like scratch it out real quick and then you throw it into final that's draft, exactly, but you're doing it digitally. That's exactly the analogous. Wow. That's exactly the analogy. I love that you dropped out of high school. Yeah. Was a theater kid, went, was a vagabond in New York, running yeah. around with actors, yet like you approach things so technically, you know? Yeah. Potentially because yeah. your parents are professors. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's really cool. And like, I know another writer that loves Highland and kind of writes, prefers to write like, you know, left justified. <laughs> yeah. And then see what yeah. it looks like in the screenplay huh. yeah. format. One of the writers from Miss 2059. Oh, and his dad is actually a, a writer. Simon Gantz, uh, his, oh. his dad Gantz and Mandel, they like wrote, sure. created Parenthood or wrote yeah. Parenthood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They created Laverne and Shirley and all sorts of stuff huh. back in the day. But you just see that over and over. It's like super technical people with like a real dramatic kind of interest. Sure. Um, and I, I think, I don't know, it always makes me happy when I meet successful people that have those two things because, you know, I studied engineering and people yeah. always thought it's such a departure to move into film. 
where I feel like they're like I don't so think it is related. at all, right? I mean, it's like uh, if engineering is carpentry, like you can make the connection from like screenwriting or from entertainment to programming through carpentry. I feel like or through architecture, <laughs> or Jesus, <laughs> which is like it's a crafts position, right? Yeah. I don't, I, you know, I don't think we're. I forget who was talking to me about this recently, but like art is just a piece of it. Like yeah. the the, cre- the sort of physical kind of craft piece of it. The I'm going to direct this the same as like I'm going to carve a right. spoon out of this piece of wood. You have to have, you have to have a method, right? Yeah. You have to have a plan of attack. It's not like we're just splatter painting. Well, yeah, do you right. think art? Yeah. Do you think we call it art because it's emotion plus craft? Like, is that sure. what makes it an art? Is mm-hmm. that it's like, sure, anyone can put a camera somewhere and shoot a wide shot, a medium shot, and a dolly shot or whatever. I just but, think the standard for technical proficiency is so much higher in this industry than it is in, say, like visual art. Mm-hmm. Not to say that in the number of very, disciplines you have to have uh, at least a working yeah. vocabulary in. Yeah. Even just being like social. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, cool. Cool. Well, Sam, what's your second endorsement? Mr. Q's cucumber soda. Mm. Oh, it's like the best soda in the world. The vast majority of people don't even know it's out there. It's a vintage soda that was popular in the fifties. If you just do like cucumber soda, and a little bit of gin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, and this is like a cocktail easily. The easiest, best cocktail you can make for yourself at home. Yeah. That's wait, but great. you're, you're endorsing the mixed drink or the actual soda, a very a specific brand. The of soda. soda on its own is great. And it's Mr. Q's MR. Mr. Q. It's actually Mr. Q as in Mr. Q Cumber. Oh, C U Cumber. MR period capital Q space Cumber. Okay. <laughs> That's memorable <laughs> though, Cumber. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so is it was it actually like a vintage soda or is it just like a throwback style? No, I think it is a vintage soda. I don't know exactly when it was first invented. But it's still available. And do you have to go to a specialty shop or is it like? Or you can get it online or you can get it at like a specialty vintage soda shop, which there is one in not too far away from here. There's one in Pasadena. Galco's. Galco's. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the soda heads mecca. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't really drink soda, but I'll try Mr. Q's because I love cucumbers. Oh, welcome back to the soda game. (laughs) (laughs) Um Cool. Well, thanks, Sam. Or you want to go? You got it. It's a. It's a very. It's very similar to many endorsements I've. I, made I in the really past. want you to do an endorsement without a caveat. <laughs> <laughs> My endorsement is put a caveat in front of everything you say. <laughs> no one will ever think you're. No one will ever say that that was dumb. Um, there's this website called MoviesInColor.com. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. So we talk a lot about making pitch documents. Mm. Like, let's say you have an idea for a movie and you want to convince someone. That they should make it, but they don't have time to read your script. So just send them like five pages with like some really cool visuals. So if you go to moviesincolor.com, they have still frames from movies, just much like Film Grab, the site that Matt Pollock actually told us about. But they also combine them with like the color palette from that is so film, the frame. Cool. I'm um, looking at it right now. And so like if you put just this image with the, these colors and a treatment and be like, yeah, I kind of like these colors. And this mm-hmm. people and this will, is the palette I'm working on. It's like of. instantly sexy. Like people will and, in, and le- like instantly think credibility. Yeah, yeah. They'll instantly think, you know what you're talking about and that they should hire you because 
oh my goodness, no other director has showed us the color palette. That Drop in use. color theory, very impressive. And not to mention, obviously, it's very inspirational. Color for me has always been really hard because I have ideas about it. And then when you're on set, it's like, well, this wall's green, so... <laughs> I don't know. Color. Not Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. I can't like find a whole new country to shoot this in right now. Yeah. We'll just go with it. So, but it's really cool to see kind of how color works in frames, and it's something that we all know is important, but we don't really think about that much. So, but besides that, use one of these images in a treatment and uh, send me ten percent of whatever you get when you sell your project. <laughs> That's very cool. Cool. Well, my endorsement is a two-parter, but they're related. Have you guys seen the movie Don't Think Twice? Not yet. I should. Yeah, it's I might see it on great. Thursday. It's pretty great. So that's Mike Birbiglia's second feature. It takes place in the world of New York comedy, where he's kind of an aging improv comedian with his uh, group called The Commune. And I can't say for certain that it's a great film because so much of it is so familiar and like oftentimes literally things that we do in our lives, you know, like... I remember trying to get into the SNL after party and like things like that. Yeah. That are actual beats in the film that were so present and true for me that. um, So in other words, the way that it relates to you might just not relate to anybody else, given how specific it speaks to you. My, My hunch is that people will like it either way, but yes, absolutely. It's, it's so close to my literal life. Like, if it had taken place in L.A., I don't know if I'd be able to watch it. Yeah. But But ultimately, it's like a movie about a group of friends where one becomes, they all want to be successful in the same way. One gets it and no one else does. And it's like about moving on past that, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so I think there are very, very um, relatable themes to the whole thing. But I really loved it. It was really wonderful. And kind of like hit me at a great time. You know what I mean? Like, I was just ready for that movie, which is a wonderful you know, experience to have. But then in addition, Mike Birbiglia wrote like his six points of advice, basically. Hmm. I think it's in the New York Times. We'll put a link in the show notes, but it's basically, he's the type of guy who gets a ton of uh, questions lobbied at him, right? Like he's been touring with his film. He does all these Broadway shows. And just like this show, it kind of boils down, you know, kind of the real specific points of what you need to do to be a creative professional. And his number one point basically is just shoot it. Hmm. So, yeah. oh, so he's promoting our podcast. Yeah, he doesn't say just shoot it, but he says go do things, make things, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. you know the the ultimate theme for our show. So I thought it was great. Did yeah. you hear him? He That's was awesome. just on script notes talking about his movie, and yeah, I forget yeah. what director he spoke to. Some director that had read his screenplay. I forget who it was, but the director gave him one piece of advice. Is it Frank? It's Frank Oz. Oh yeah, Frank yeah. Oz hmm. told him when your cast comes to town to shoot the movie, take them all bowling before you shoot and he was like okay and he did and he said that that's kind of like you know everyone got to know each other talk to each other like play together and that even though it was only one night it helped really sell that these people were friends oh interesting Um, it's a team building exercise yeah bowling but bowling yeah and for a movie about you know a group that's supposed to have been together for a long time you kind of got to get that stuff in there as soon as you can cool cool well, Sam, this was great. Thank you guys so much for having me. This yeah, was a lot thanks of fun. So much. Thanks for making it work. Um, if people want to find out more about you, where should they look on the internet? You can look up on the Twitter. I'm Sam Rice. You can look up on the Instagram. I'm Sam Rice. You can look up on the Snapchat, where I have the most fun, and that's Sam Neverland. 
Mm. Oh, nice. It's wow. a good one. Sam Reich was taken. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks, Sam. Uh, you can learn more about the things that we talked about on the show at Just Shoot It Pod on Twitter and then JustShootItPod.com online. You can follow me at Mr. Matt Edlow. And me at Smitey Pileg. Yeah, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks, Write us some questions. Rate us on iTunes, and we'll catch you next week. This episode was edited by Eric Cropo. Thanks, Eric. Music was provided by Jazar on the Free Music Archive. So check them out. We'll have a link in the description. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Talk about a slow movie, Foxcatcher. <laughs> Sam, I don't know if you can make it through it. I, I recommend <laughs> if you ever have, like, if you want to go see, like, a slow movie like that, if you can find a way to go to like a SAG screening, yeah, um, that is the way to see those movies because it's filled with like old thespians uh-huh. who are just like down. Sure, like there's like like applause breaks all the time. You yeah. will hear the word bravo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like shouted, shouted. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. It's really wonderful. Uh, that's like internet commenter yeah. level of media feedback. <laughs> it turns yeah. out I, Bravo has hired someone to yell that <laughs> because they're having yeah. trouble casting people. <laughs>